Switchboard. Keeping faith. Hello, hello. We are Switchboard here on CAMFM 97.2 in conjunction with Varsity, bringing you stories that are bringing Cambridge together. This week, as Raphael said, we're talking about keeping faith, so faith and spirituality in Cambridge. I'm Caroline. I'm Raphael. And so we have a whole host of amazing stories for you today. If you want to get in touch, it's studio at camfm.co.uk. And so this week I went with Abdullah Shah to meet with the chaplain of King's College, the Reverend Andrew Hammond, who told us the role that Christianity can play and how it plays a useful part in the lives of Cambridge students. And he also told us about his own personal religious journey. I'm Andrew Hammond. I'm the chaplain of King's College. So I've been here since the summer of 2015. I arrived on the day that they were filming Grantchester and people falling from the roof of the chapel, which I hoped wasn't going to be indicative of what was to come. And it is, it's an extremely peculiar job for a priest to do, a priest in the Church of England, particularly as it tends to be Church of England people who act as chaplains wherever there are chaplains in a work environment. I'd come from being a parish priest in northwest London, a sort of the borders of Wilsdon and Neeson, which really couldn't be more different. That was a place of extreme deprivation. I remember seeing a kind of survey or table of Church of England parishes by multiple deprivation factors, and this was way near the bottom. So it was a very big change to come from that to here. I had a very strong suspicion when I knew that this job was coming up, and I did know because the predecessor, my predecessor Richard is a very good friend of mine, that actually the way in which um, students are portrayed in the media, and especially in what I would call lazy right-wing media, the sort of spectator and telegraph blogosphere, all this terrible language of you know, the slow, snowflake generation and all of that, and all the sort of culture wars about free speech and no platforming and defence taking and defence giving. When I got here, I did discover a sort of complexity to the situation uh, that meant it was a really fast learning curve for me, which I hope I'm still on, but it absolutely bore out my suspicion that some of the ways in which students are portrayed in that kind of media are completely off the mark. But I think it is important in the Christian faith to live in the moment. Um, what Jesus says, you know, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There's quite enough to worry about today without worrying about tomorrow. Now that can sound ludicrously sort of idealistic. Clearly, you want to think about tomorrow as well. And he indeed, he said, you know, be wise as serpents as well. So you've always, there's always a both and in any of these ways of thinking about things and, and from a Christian perspective. Um, but I think what I see, I mean, from my perspective as a Christian priest, seeing people, people come to see me who are struggling for whatever reason, um, it's not often to do with anything to do with faith, it's just a kind of um, something that's, that's bothering them in their experience here, sometimes really very hard, very distressingly. So, so much of it seems to relate to a fragility um, which has been largely created by the way in which they've been stuffed through their previous school experience. And it's so results-driven. And clearly results matter. I mean, when I, you know, I, the generation ago I was going through school, we had exams and tests all the time. Um, but it, it, did, it still felt like, it just felt completely normal actually, but it didn't feel like 
you were being um, measured as a person in that way and it certainly wasn't about as, a, you know, as I'm calling it this kind of mythical future point of arriving mm. of, of getting success of being successful being worth something that notion of that notion of intrinsic worth and dignity and valuing of the self and shared valuing of the self is a very Christian thing and that's something I, I do find try to find ways of talking about when I'm talking to individual students it very much depends what it is they've come to talk about and I mean the way I put it it's not just um, as it were telling the good news but kind of being it really and the being it is and this is very biblical I mean it's very much following the commands of Jesus um, which is to be there for other people um, the the notion one of my kind of strap lines I try to bang on about and people, anybody that follows me on Twitter sees it's part of my Twitter thing uh, it's all about love and uh, that absolutely has to be at the heart of it because you know I, I was the kind of geeky schoolboy going to the local evangelical church and waving his arms about and people playing guitars and things but when I kind of uh, quietly made it known to some of my fellow Christian Union people at school that um, finding a girlfriend and getting married was not for me um, that, that just the doors came clanging down um, and they got terribly sort of alarmed so I felt very excluded by that and then when I was here in Cambridge all of that was not a problem at all um, but I was singing in a choir and I was doing philosophy and thinking about these things and it all kind of moved into a, a long period of what I call devotional doubt so I really didn't know quite what to think and say about uh, matters of faith and religious belief but I did like going to church mm. so that notion that I had in my teens of being ordained just came back I was walking up the street it was like, I mean I'm not really into this God told me you know to park here not there sort of sentence but I did get this email in my head saying be a breeze and I remember sitting in the bath later reciting this mantra of reasons why it really was a bad idea but it just kept nagging on at me and for some bizarre reason the church kind of said yes That was the Reverend Andrew Hammond talking to Abdullah and myself early this week. Uh, Andrew has been King's Chaplain since 2015 and has become quite well known amongst uh, the college and the, Cam the Cambridge community in general. He uh, featured at the King's Affair last year and performed on stage with a drag queen Courtney Act. Now on to a different story. So you may know of uh, the Baha'i Faith, which is actually one of the youngest ones world religions so it was founded by Baha'u'llah in Iran in the 19th century and Eddie went along to a meeting of the Baha'i Society at Anglia Ruskin earlier this week and spoke to Rose, Oliver and Howard to find out a bit more about what it may mean to be Baha'i Okay, my name is Rose, Rose Liang. Uh, surname is Liang because I'm married to a Chinese and I have adopted that. I've been married for about 30 years. The Baha'i faith is still to this date is heavily persecuted in its birth country, which is Iran. And Baha'u'llah, who is from Iran, was exiled from Iran and he was imprisoned for 40 years of his life and exiled from country to country until he passed actually in Israel. So Israel is the holy land for the Baha'is and uh, not only for the Jews, Christians and the Muslims. 
the faith, Baha'i faith, is very important to me. I was brought up as a Baha'i in Iran, uh, but when I was uh, in my teen, uh, about nine girls were in fact um, martyred in Iran. And um, when I had the opportunity to come out of Iran to Cambridge and study, I always felt very, very fortunate to be able to study because those girls could not. In this great human garden. My mum's from Iran, yeah, my dad's from England, so I'm kind of half and half. Um, but yeah, born and raised in England. So the Baha'i faith is a very active religion. It has a very clear aim, which is none less than uniting the planet. Um, it's a, an ambitious goal. You know, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Um, but it's the thing that we are, you know, see in the future that is, it's, it's inevitable that it's going to happen because there is just one people in this planet. And I think people are m now more and more realizing that there are no divisions that are true divisions that should keep us apart. You know, the barriers of race and gender are, are falling away and people are beginning to see the, the oneness. Um, and this is really the, the core teaching of the Baha'i faith the oneness of humanity. So all of the Baha'i kind of activities are open to all. There's no um, kind of particular um, place of worship which is kind of exclusive to Baha'is. Actually often Baha'is just meet in each other's homes and that way it makes it open and accessible to friends, to neighbours to come along. Then the prayers can be held in different styles depending on the personalities of those there. Some people like to use music, some people like to make use of the arts. But um, prayer is, you know, a key part in, in all of these um, gatherings. I'm Oliver and I'm nearly 14 and um, I was born as a Baha'i but anyone can become a Baha'i and even Baha'is when they're 15 are allowed to choose whatever religion they believe is right and they're not allowed to be forced into anything. So the Baha'i faith believes whatever you independently think is right. And also the Baha'i faith believes that you shouldn't be influenced by superstitions of like pasting religions or um, what just what your parents think or traditions. And it's all about, um, it's quite a contemporary religion because it's all about what you believe is right for the world and right for you now. What language do you pray in? Well, personally, I pray in English because <laughs> that's the language that I speak. But whatever language uh, you speak, that's the language you can pray in. I think Wikipedia has um, about 120 languages that it's translated into. The Baha'i writings are translated into over 800 languages. So it's a very um, diverse community that actually embraces pretty much every, um, every race, every nation on, on the planet. We have about 40 Baha'is in Cambridge. Uh, we've just had a big celebration of the bicentenary of the birth of Baha'u'llah, who is the founder of the Baha'i faith. His name means glory of God. And we had it at Churchill College where nearly 300 people came. You know, Cambridge itself is very special to us because Professor Edward Brown was one of the Cambridge Orientalists, one of the very few Westerners who actually saw Baha'u'llah. And I often reflected why is it that a British person saw Baha'u'llah and could write this history about the Baha'i faith? Because the British are so good in terms of preserving history. In the Baha'i faith, we don't really see religions, we just see religion. That 
all the different faiths that we see, what be it Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, although we see them as separate, if you were to lay them out on a timeline, you would see that they really um, flow quite nicely one into the other in this time of discord and strife between religions. If we're able to see the unity between these religions, it might help us to overcome some of these challenges. In this great human garden, garden. I feel very fortunate to be able to be out of Iran, being able to practice my religion because UK is open in terms of religious beliefs and actually mix with Muslims, Christians and Jews and Buddhists or any, anyone even without religion because I feel Cambridge and our university in particular encourages diversity and brings people. So we do a lot of interfaith activities here too. That was Eddie going to speak with the Baha'i Society of Cambridge. And remember, you can get in contact with us on the show through the email at studio at camfm.co.uk or if you're on the website camfm.co.uk, you can contact us through the web form. Yeah, this week here on Switchboard, we are talking about stories about faith and spirituality and sort of getting to hear a little bit about what people find really kind of important to them regarding that. Next up, we have a interview with members of the Downing Choir who discussed with Eddie their faith and spirituality and what that an impact singing in a choir made to their life. If you have any stories, as Raphael said, any thoughts about faith, spirituality, or anything like that, we'd love to hear from you. So let us know. It's studio at camathem.co.uk. I'm a PGC student, so trained to be a physics teacher, and this is my fifth year in Cambridge because I did my undergrad and master's here in physics as well. This is my fifth year in the choir. The fact that we sing in a service for one means that we get to share in that communion and in that community and learn from the sermons and stuff. But I also think the music itself can bring us closer to God. It gives us some of that awe and wonder. Hi everyone, I'm Kethke. I'm a second year medic and also choral scholar as well. Uh, I'm practicing Hindu. So. And um, how, so how does that fit into your life in Cambridge? What practicing do you actually do? Ooh. Well, I mean, I'm like currently very busy, so I don't do like a great deal. But like, I have this like a picture of like like a, sh- a shrine like in my room, like just like a little picture, no- nothing too extravagant. Like sometimes, like during the sermon and stuff, I like kind of relate it back to how it fits in with my religion and stuff, and it's very interesting. I'm like, ooh, never thought of this before. When I remember um, Jeff said something once about um, where it was like the ra- where it's like even if the rain like 
even if one particular bit is very rainy, you always look at the big picture and think about the sunshine and happy thoughts. Adam, right? Yes. Adam, yes. okay, so you have a different sort of approach to to religion than these two. Sure, I mean, I was, I was brought up um, not in any particular church, but just sort of non-denominationally um, in, in the Christian faith. Uh, I then went through a pretty long kind of um, junior high school atheism rebellion phase, and then I got bored with that and I came back to the church. And I think the thing that brought me back to to the Christian faith actually was sacred music. Um, I don't really think I would have the involvement with faith that I have if it weren't for music, in fact. Um, and uh, I was just last year confirmed um, in the Catholic Church. Uh, in addition to being organ scholar here in the sort of Anglican tradition, I conduct the choirs at Our Lady and the English Martyrs, which is actually just across the street on Lensfield Road. Um, and uh, it's it's a pretty funny fact about Downing Chapel is that all three of the organ scholars um, on Sunday mornings are working for the Church of Rome. And then we come here on Sunday evenings and work for the Church of England. So it's it's actually been a real privilege for me because I get to do Palestrina mass settings in the morning and then come here and do, you know, Magnunks by Herbert Howells and things like that. So. When you get into the theological differences between Anglicanism and Catholicism, there's a really tense history, especially in England, because I think Catholicism was illegal for more than 300 years. Um, but obviously the, the creed is almost exactly the same, and so much of the music is expressing the same theology. So I think, yeah, I find that it really, re this, the two um, musical experiences reinforce one another. That was members from Downing Choir and the choir as a whole singing. Uh, talking to Eddie a little bit about their own religious journey and how faith plays a role in their singing. You're listening to Switchboard on CAMFM 97.2. This week we're talking all about keeping faith, different stories about faith and spirituality from around Cambridge. And we've got some of your messages here that you've been sending in. Thank you very much for those. Please keep them coming. We've got one here saying, thank you for the section on the Baha'i faith. I enjoyed listening to it. Glad about that. And also another message from Madeleine. Kings is very fortunate to have such an inspiring chaplain. Great interview and a very interesting show. Thank you very much for those. And remember, you can keep uh, contacting us through the web form on the website, through studio at camfm.co.uk, or on our dedicated switchboard email address, switchboard at varsity.co.uk. Absolutely. Raphael and I would love to hear from you. Next up, our final story from this show 
we talked this week to Ryan, who's a third-year medic student here at Cambridge, who converted to Islam. Um, three years ago, actually converted to Islam, but was looking into religion for a long time before that, about a year and a half or so. I was kind of, um, you know, in a strange, confused place at that time. Like it was second year of college when I actually converted, but I was confused from the first year of college. Like, well, I was like, well, you know, what's going on with my life? Like, because kind of before I, I was a typical like council estate like kid <laughs> back in the day. So I didn't really care much about like grades or school or success until I actually got like kind of good GCSE grades. But then in a way that ended up being my defining feature that everybody would only know me because they'd be like, oh, you know, you got great, good grades, like you did well, like, you know, you've, you've achieved so much. But it was only as people kept saying that, that I was like, well, if this is all I am, like, I haven't really achieved much, like, all it is is some letters on, on paper. And it was like, it made it even worse after the first year of college. And then I was like, oh, you even got good AS level results. But I was like, but they're actually meaningless and I don't care about them. And I was like, what's my life actually coming to? And it kind of fueled this whole kind of, confusion I guess that I was like if this is what people are saying success is then I don't really feel successful so I think the definition of success is wrong but mm. it got quite bad before I'd actually started looking into religions quite properly like I'd like suffered with like a lot of like depression at the time I was thinking like there's no point in existence at the moment if this is all it is but it did get better once I started to kind of channel those kind of thoughts and questions into something more like okay you know how am I gonna structure my existence and my purpose to life and the way I found that was actually working for the best was through religion but at the same time at that time I was still kind of agnostic in the sense of what do I actually believe I'm like I believe there's something so I'm going to structure it around that but I was kind of not with any kind of organized religion at the time but then I started to ask kind of myself a lot more questions to say actually you know there are a lot of things that I need to know how to do if I'm on about, oh, I want to get close to God. Like at the moment, I'm just doing this kind of vague spiritual stuff, but it's not necessarily concrete in my life and it's not giving me necessarily the routine that would perfect that for me. Kind of instantly, I was kind of drawn to like monotheism, like straight away because this idea of like one uniting principle, but that you had direct contact with throughout, like without going through anything else as an intermediary with like straight away drew me in. I was like, no, this is what I feel like. I feel like a connection with something. And so then I was kind of looking between Judaism, Christianity and Islam. Like, and it was weird for me, like growing up, like Islam was always very frowned upon. Nobody, <laughs> nobody spoke well about Islam. So that was a strange path for me to go down as well to like, look into. Like, but I kind of told myself that if I wanted to do it properly, then I had to kind of cut all my emotional ties with anything that I had so far to evaluate them all like in their own way and like impartially mm -hmm. and so I kind of started to say okay you know like I started to look at it in a more like a philosophical way I guess to kind of prove to myself which system like on the basic level makes the most sense to be like you know over that journey like took about nine months of reading before I was like no I think Islam is definitely the one and it was quite strange because most people kind of visit a mosque or do something like that before they convert, but I never had. I was like, nope, I'm just ready to do it. I'll learn, I'll learn it once. I was like, because I've got the faith of it. Now I can learn what I'm going to do with it. But it wasn't necessarily easy when people were very, like I said before, people were quite against Islam generally in the community that I was in before. And especially my family was very 
confused and kind of upset and quite angry that I'd gone against that kind of norm in that way. Because I can I can understand why they were worried. It's like it's completely different to them. Like they've never known anything like it. And to them, especially people like my mum, it's kind of the idea that if I've chosen this, it means that the moral system for her it means that the moral system she gave me wasn't good enough because I found something better. So I can understand why it's then hard for her to kind of cope with that. Like your child's like discovering for themselves what they think is right in the world and it's not what you taught them necessarily and I try to like like get through to her you know the majority of the concepts are the same like it's not as if I'm doing anything wildly different I've just found a different way to channel it but it it does like it does become difficult to have those conversations when people see it as you've left what I've given you it's difficult I think their view of Muslims overall has changed in that they don't see it how they saw it like it's not bad it's not bad and evil to them you know it's not actually believing in dodgy stuff they see it as legitimate and they see how it can have a good effect in my life and so it's improved although I just don't I don't see that like there's still a lot of like bias and that's like not just my family that's everyone like generally like well not everyone but the majority of people that you meet generally have some kind of bias like on different levels like but they generally have a comment. They say, oh, but what about women in your religion and this? And what about this? And what about this? And a lot of times they're not actually asking you questions. They're making a statement in the form of a question. And I'm like, you don't actually want to know the answer I'm about to give you because you're not going to listen to it. You're just telling me your opinion. And that's it. You're not actually asking a question. And I just don't, I don't see how much of that can be removed until the overall bias starts to shift in society, like over time. So can you give us like a snapshot of what your daily routine was maybe when you were in college Mm -hmm. and then like now? Before I kind of, I guess I didn't really do anything. Like if I was kind of, it would like, it's almost like I would bottle up my questions or bottle up emotions about certain issues until it suddenly got too much and then it just exploded out. There was no kind of avenue for these things. And as much as I talked to my friends about things, it was never quite the same as like fulfilling that deep kind of spiritual void that I felt within myself. Whereas now like like as a Muslim you pray five times a day and like that's always a good like a good like break, I'd say, from worldly life or like rather than just thinking about everything you're doing in the right now, just putting yourself in the bigger picture. And that kind of that almost like it gives you opportunities and forces you to evaluate your life a lot more, which is what I found most beneficial compared to this kind of vague spiritual feeling where like I could like let things out with kind of what I saw as God at the time, but there was no structure to it. And the structure definitely gives me like exact times or exact windows of time and exact ways in which I can like channel my feelings and actually build my life around that. Okay. That was Ryan there, a third-year medical student, telling Eddie and I earlier this week a little bit about his experiences converting to Islam. We have been switchboard here on CAMFM 97.2. And we'd like to thank all our contributors and interviewees who are on the show this week. So that was the Reverend Andrew Hammond, chaplain of King's College. It was uh, Rose, Oliver and Howard from the Baha'i Society at Anglia Ruskin. It was the Downing Choir and... Ryan.
Absolutely. Now, if you want to catch up on any of our past episodes, you can find them all on the CamFM website or alternatively on the Varsity SoundCloud. This week, we've been exploring keeping faith, but past episodes have included living with languages, leaving home, facing conflict, and collecting past and present. Thank you very much once again for listening. And if you have any other stories you think uh, we might find of interest, feel free to drop us a line on switchboard at varsity.co.uk. We've been Caroline and Raphael here in the CamFM studio. Thanks so much for tuning in and thanks so much to the rest of the team. Have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>